Are you a sneakerhead? A baller? Want to know about the hottest brands you can lace up and run with? Well, get ready, because we got all the details right here. It's Kicks and Bricks, where we got game on the streets and on the court. Here's your host, Jamel Cutler. Today on Kicks and Bricks, we have a special guest. He's a warrior both on and off the court. He's a true inspiration for people that struggle with substance abuse, um, former Denver Nugget and Boston Celtic, my good friend, Chris Heron. Welcome, Chris. How you doing? I'm good, brother. Thanks for having me. All right. So um, you're from Fall River, Mass. Like, What was the hoop scene like in that area in the mid-'80s when Bird, McHale, and Parrish were, were powering? the Celtics back then? You know, I think growing up as a kid, you didn't, I mean, you knew, obviously, uh, you know, what was going on with the Celtics, but you didn't have the access that kids have today. Um, you know, I think that's what brought so much pride to the Fall River and Derby basketball is that that was what kids aspired to be. Like, you didn't grow up wanting to be Larry Bird. You grew up wanting to be, you know, my brother or former Derby basketball players because, you know, twice a week there'd be 4,000 people in a gym watching Derby basketball. Um, you know, so as a kid, as powerful and dominating as the Celtics and the Lakers were back then, um, you didn't see them often. Um, you know, they weren't on TV like they are today. Uh, what you saw was, was, you know, your local high school kids, uh, who are coming before you, um, and those are the those are the guys you aspire to be. And from what I understand, like Fall River was kind of like the Friday Night Lights or the Riverdale of basketball in the New England area. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was. You know, I mean, not many high school sporting events, um, you know, have season ticket holders. You know, pe people would wait in line to get in. Fire codes would be broken. Uh, it was, it was, it was quite the atmosphere. You know, I mean, you, everybody knew Derby basketball in the city. Everybody knew the Derby basketball players. Um, so it, it was, it was at one time, you know, pretty much the only show in town. Um, and again, grown up before social media, grown up before Wi-Fi, and and cable and, and all that kind of stuff, right? So, Derby basketball was the entertainment. Um, you know, people look forward to Tuesdays and Fridays. And you were like a prodigy at such an early age. Like, um, can you talk about like the pressures that you dealt with growing up, like while carrying an entire basketball community on your shoulders? You know, I, I think it's, it, it's, it was very evident, right? Um, I think any time a 14-year-old, 15, 16-year-old performs in front of 4,000 people, um, it's going to evoke certain emotions. Um, there is no doubt impact on that. Um, 
you know, the stress, the anxiety, the constant fear of failure and disappointing uh, was very prevalent. Uh, was very, you know, it was it, it was something I was very aware of, and it was upfront. Um, but you know, I, at that time, I wasn't old enough or mature enough to be in sync with that and be aware of that and getting out in front of it. Um, so, you know, unfortunately for me, you know, that came out later. Uh-huh. And um, did that pressure that that you dealt with, like, did that have an effect on the choices that you made as it related to um, substance abuse? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, in hindsight, you know, as say 16, 17 years old, I could score 40 points in front of the 4,000 people on a Friday night, but two hours after the game, I couldn't hang out with 10 of my best friends without doing drugs or getting drunk. Um, to me, that's very telling, you know, that, you know, here I am a McDonald's All-American, um, and I can perform at the highest levels for my age group, um, but socially and emotionally, you know, I was a complete disaster. All right, so, like, before you was at Fresno, you played at, at Boston College, like, even though... Your time at BC was short-lived because of the wrist injury. Like, how was your time at BC being, like, the hometown kid? It was hard. I mean, you know, especially after I bumped into cocaine. Um, you know, my, my time at BC was short-lived. Um, I honestly think I underestimated uh, the responsibility of being a Division One athlete, um, I think I un- underestimated the time commitment um, and and the pressure that came with it. Uh, you know, it, in hindsight, I wish I went to prep school for a year and kind of figured it out on my own um, with a little more oversight. Um, you know, but that freshman year, very early on, uh, I was introduced to cocaine and. Uh, it was it was the relief um, that I needed, in a sense, in a very very uh, clinical way. You know, like it allowed me to talk freely and, and express my emotion to people that I normally kept inside. Um, and I fell in love with it, and because of that, um, I could struggle mightily. I had. You know, numerous late nights and not take care of myself. Um, and ultimately, I, I lost my scholarship there because I, uh, I failed multiple drug tests, right? Um, so, you know, my time at BC was short-lived. You know, my time at BC being a local basketball legend um, and it playing out in the collegiate uh, arena, um, you know, that, that ended pretty quickly. Uh, but thankfully, you know, there were other opportunities waiting for me. Um, you know, and, and I jumped at it when Terry Tarkanian reached out to me and said, I want you to come play for me at Fresno State. And also, like, while you was at BC, you was on um, Sports Illustrated with Ray Allen. 
um, Felipe Lopez, and I think Iverson was um was a part of that cover. Like, what did that mean to you coming from like a basketball infused town? You know, I don't think it meant. I, I didn't realize the magnitude of it. Um, you know, Felipe was on a whole nother level. Um, you know, being uh, a New York City kid uh, with that, you know, the Dominican following. You know, I remember playing the McDonald's All American game with him and saying, like, man, like, I thought I had pressure. Um, you know, he, you know, he had been in that life. That was the first time I was in it. You know, when Sports Illustrated called and, and they're like, we're going to do a big spread on you. And the, the, the cover of the magazine said the Big East is back. Um, you know, that was something that I didn't fully comprehend. You know, dressed up, it looked great. I didn't realize what, what came with it. And I didn't realize how hard the fall was going to be um, because of, you know, things like that. You know, I went from being on Sports Illustrated to getting kicked out of Boston College five months later. Like earlier, you mentioned Tark, and he came into your life at a tough time. Like, what did it mean to have somebody like him believe in you despite the baggage that you came with? I mean, he was a believer in people. There's no doubt about that. He was a, he was a believer in second chances. And um, the fact he was willing to give me one, the fact he was willing to overlook everything I had gone through, um, you know, was... was a huge moment for me. Um, and truly, with all my heart, I wanted to give him everything I had. And I did. Um, you know, for the most part. Um, but, you know, my time at Fresno, it was phenomenal in so many ways. Um, but tragic as well. Um, you know, cocaine followed me. Um, you know, I went a year and a half into my Fresno career. I was back in in a treatment center, uh, facing my demons, talking about my cocaine addiction, uh, publicly uh, humiliated. Uh, you know, back then the stigma was much stronger. Uh, you know, they had no problem uh, humiliating someone suffering from substance use disorder um you know back then it was more of a, a moral you know issue that i couldn't figure it out uh i was a rotten apple um and uh you know so tartanian supported me all the way through it um and i struggled all the way through it i, I struggled with cocaine all the way through my uh collegiate career all right so like the 99 draft was like very guard heavy. Um, they had Baron Davis, Steve Francis, just name, just to name a few off the top of my head. Like, I feel like if you didn't have like all those issues that you were dealing with, the failed drug tests and such, then you probably would have been a, a first round pick. You know, John Celestan, Bontigo Cummings, William Avery, Baron Davis, Stevie Francis. Um, you know, it was it was definitely point guard heavy. Um, I, I'm, you know, Dan Estill gave me a shot, right, where a lot of people wouldn't have. Um, you know, and to this day, 
I'll text him occasionally uh, to say thank you uh, because, you know, he saw past um, the things I had struggled with. And again, is you know, he, he was hopeful for me. He was hopeful that um, his belief in me would be enough. Um, and it was for the most part. I mean, I landed in Denver with an unbelievable locker room. Um, McDice, Roy Rogers, Popeye Jones, Chauncey Phillips, Brian Stiff, um, Nick Van Exel. Um, just an amazing locker room. Uh, James Posey is the other rookie. Um, there was a lot of great men. Ray LaFrance, Ryan Bowen. It, it was there was a high character team, uh, and I was fortunate. And and for the most part, um, you know. It was one of the healthiest years I've had in years um, because of that. Like back then, did the NBA have like the emporium that they have now for um, for incoming rookies to like kind of help them deter them? You know, I, I don't, I don't, I can't necessarily look back and, and get into all the details of it, but I was definitely in their substance use program. Um, you know, I was immediately put in that because of my history. Uh, I don't know what it's like today. Um, I don't know what that entails today, but I know, you know, there was a guy, Dr. Backus, who ran it. And uh, and when I was in Denver, I had to meet with a therapist and talk about it. Um, I also had John Lucas as a coach. He was an assistant. And, you know, he had been sober for a lot of years. And, and you know, he was... Um, you know, every day I would see him walk in the gym knowing I'm looking at a guy with 25 plus years sober, you know, and that was a, a, a good power of example to have back then. Um, I was watching your 30 for 30 um, a couple of days ago and like you detailed while playing for Boston, like you attempted to buy painkillers in the rain during a, um, a preseason game. Like, Can you um, go into more detail about that situation for us? I mean, I met my I met I met my guy multiple times before games. I mean, you know, when you were doing when I was doing sixteen hundred milligrams a day of oxycontin, you're always you know you're always in need, um, and, and you're always living on the edge, you know, of, of desperation, um, you know, and and people who are opiate addicted understand that. You know, when you don't have the withdrawal, is is something like no other. Um, it's crippling, uh, and to play at such a high level, uh, you know, you need every advantage. Uh, you know, and unfortunately, at that time, the only way I would get an advantage or be capable of sprinting up and down a basketball court and guarding people was being. Uh, under the influence of oxycontin, uh, you know, the Boston Celtics, it was one of the roughest years um, of my life. It, I look back and see Celtics pictures, um, and I see a lost soul. You know, I see sadness. I see uh, a level of desperation um, and emptiness in my eyes. Um, you know, as fairy tale as it should have been, it was a nightmare. Um, it was a living nightmare for me. 
uh, because once again, I'm back home and this is my second chance to make it right. And, you know, I can be forever remembered, um, you know, as a local kid who played for the Celtics and, and made the best of it. Uh, but that wasn't the case. Uh, you know, alcoholism, drug addiction, um, they're not concerned. That illness isn't concerned with, with, with your, your situation and, and, and making your dreams come true. For a lot of young people, they start to um, deal with um, drugs and alcohol early in life for multiple reasons. Like, how early in life did it happen to you? Uh, you know, I mean, I started drinking and smoking probably 13, 14 years old. Um, I was young. I mean, but I think there's a lot of kids that start at that age. There's a lot of kids that even start younger. Um, you know, that's the scariest thing about drug addiction. And, and that's the scariest thing about alcoholism. Um, you know, at that age, nobody knows who's going to suffer. You know, you have no idea that the drink, the drug, what it's going to do to your life. Um, and that's, that's, that's scary. Uh, and, you know, when I started drinking at 13, 14 years old, I had no idea that, you know, I was going to be an alcoholic and a drug addict. I remember when I was younger, like, I would go and listen to these guys talk, like, at my school and, like, kind of steer people away from, like, drugs and alcohol. And, like, all I did was, like, just say I'll never be that person or just not pay attention, to be honest with you. Um, can you talk about, like, the importance of recognizing the beginning of a problem instead of ignoring it and just w waiting to get out of control? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, I, I learned that lesson. You know, speaking as many speaking events as I do a year, especially in front of kids, high school kids. Um, you know, they're, they're, they they sit in those bleachers and they're waiting for me to come in and tell this horrible, horrible story about what drugs did to my life. And the reality is that's not what they get. You know, I talk about when I was 13, 14, 15, 16 years old and looking across the room and not understanding why I can't have fun without it. And, you know, when it comes to drugs, when it comes to alcohol, when it comes to addiction, um, we talk about the worst day and we forget the first day. You know, we're always talking about how it ends for people rather than why it's beginning. And, you know, for years, I think that's, that's played into the stigma. You know, I think kids associate drug addiction with prostitution and people with no teeth in their mouth and mugshots and homeless, homelessness. Um, you know, it's way more than that. And it takes years and years and years before somebody steps on that sidewalk and sells their body. Uh, it takes years before somebody loses their teeth and, and you know, become homeless. Um, so, you know, for me, it's about the first day. You know, it's about talking to them about why it's beginning rather than why it's ending, how it's going to end. Right. Um, when you was younger, like, did you ever think about, like, how the choices that you were making at that time is going to affect your future or, like, the future of your family? No idea. I said it come, come across my mind. Uh, um, and, again, that's the scariest thing about it. You, you don't know. You know? You don't know. And, you know, as I sit in the parking lot of my wellness center, um, you know, where people live, 
to get their life back, to feel better, um, to change. You know, there's people in here right now in their early 20s um, that I spoke to in high school, you know, and they remember that talk and they Google and they say, oh, well, Chris Herman has a wellness center. You know, I'm struggling. I want to go there. Um, you know, I can't tell you how many people have walked through my doors to live, to find peace, to get sober, to live in recovery, who listen to me do my presentation when they were in high school. Hmm. And what kind of sticks out about these high school kids? Um, I'm not saying all parents, but like some parents, they'll like carpool over you like for academics, but then like for social stuff, they'll pretty much ignore that aspect of your life. And that's just as important as the academic side of things. Of course. I mean, it's, it's a huge piece. And I think there's too much emphasis on certain things on young, young adults' lives, right? And I think where we failed our youth is emotional growth, is team building, um, empowerment, you know, practices that will support them for the rest of their life. Mindfulness, meditation, nutrition, you know, all very, very um, important things that we, for years, have ignored. Um, you know, we have kids captive for 13 years, from kindergarten to senior year, and we do very, very little around this topic. And I think a lot of times that these kids or these teenagers, they're holding on to like a lot of a lot of sadness, and they don't know like what to do with it. No, because they get, they walk into a classroom and immediately they're being taught geometry or or biology. You know, this kid's walking into classrooms hungry. You know, this kid's walking into classrooms who've been up all night because you know their parents were fighting. Well, but have no parents. Um, you know, there's, you know, we've missed the we've missed the mark when it comes to our kids when it, when it comes to this topic. Um, you know, and I think that's why over the years my message has evolved. Um, not only initially to talk about the stigma of addiction, um, but also, you know, where we've where we fail um, our children and the support that they require. Um, like. Like kind of going back to you, like, do you think that um that that support kind of um like helped you, or was the cause of you falling through the cracks a little bit in your early age? I don't know if it's the cause, but could it have helped? Yeah. Unfortunately, we have to ask that question. You know, and and this that I can't answer it. You know. That's the whole purpose of it. You know, we shouldn't have to ask that question. You know, what if? What if? You know, what if what if you had that when you were in elementary school, in middle school? Um, there's a lot of what ifs. And you know, that's we need to take that off the table for kids. I know for like a lot of people, for them to like get completely sober, like they have to hit their rock bottom and pretty much lose everything and and start over and build themselves back up. Like for you, like what was the breaking episode that kind of helped you clean up your life for good? You know, I, I, I had to, I, you know, I had to come 
I had to face myself, I had to look in the mirror. I had to identify with the person who I currently was. And that was a broken man. Um, a father that was absent. Um, a dad who was not serving any of the needs that my children required or deserved. Um, a husband that was taken uh, from his family, uh, making life very difficult for the people who loved him. Um, I had to come to that. And, you know, it, it's when I realized that I either, I either get focused and throw everything I have into getting sober or walk away from your family and let them live. Did your struggle in like the day that you finally decide to, you know, just talk about all all your problems and Yeah, and this isn't easy. Recovery's not easy. If it was, we wouldn't have this issue, right? Like it requires repetition, like it requires practice, it requires getting after it day in and day out. You can't ignore it. You know, you've got to show up. It's just it's it's the same thing as an athlete. You know, like you're not, you can't perform at a high level unless you do certain things. You can't stay sober unless you do certain things. You know, this, this, this isn't, you know, if it was so freely given, there wouldn't be so many suffering. You know, people who get this are the people who, who submit to the humility that it entails and the work and the willingness that it requires. And when you can be humble enough to show up and listen and take direction and be coachable and do what's necessary, uh, you know, then you're given this this new freedom, this new life. And I've been given that. And so is my family because of it. All right. How long have you been um, clean and sober since, like, the Dunkin' Donuts incident or going into... Three months, I'll have 12 years. Okay. Oh, that's, that's, yeah. That's, yeah, that's good. Congrats. Yeah, it's been 12 years and a month, so it's, uh, I'm blessed, I'm blessed, I'm blessed, I'm blessed, straight up blessed, and full of gratitude, and, uh, you know, I've just been given so much. All right, since you've been clean, like, you founded the Heron, the Heron Wellness, the, uh, I'm sorry, the Heron, the Heron Wellness Center, um, can you tell us about it a little bit? Yeah, I just wanted to be part of people's recovery, right? The Heron Project is, is, is my uh, nonprofit, which is a dream come true for me. Um, you know, it served and helped so many families. Um, and two and a half years ago, I said, I want, I want to do something different. I want to be part of the process of watching people go through it day in and day out. So I founded Heron Wellness. You know, my, my wellness center supports people struggling with mental health and substance use. Uh, you know, people live here, families drop them off here and entrust myself and staff to direct and guide their loved one um, through a very painful process. Um, but to come out on the other side with with a smile and, 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 and gratitude and uh, so... Heron Wellness is, is, 
you know, is one of my greatest accomplishments. Um, it's something I'm very, very proud of and, and it's something that I, I hold dearly to my heart. Um, you know, I don't take it lightly when someone drops their loved one off here uh, and says, you know, I'm, I'm putting them in your hands to guide them to, to a life um, that they've yet to find. And I think like all the lives you touch to me is more important than anything that you ever accomplished on the basketball court. Well, listen, man, I appreciate that. And I hope so too. Um, you know, I think I'm smart enough to know that, you know, the work that we've done, uh, not just me, people who have supported me through this process has been very, very helpful to many. Um, but it's, uh, it's a lot bigger than me. Um, you know, I've, I've been very fortunate to have amazing teammates in recovery. All right, so now we're going to um, jump into some fan questions. Deshaun underscore um, 323 from Instagram. He asks, um, what are your favorite moments on a basketball court at any level? I, I Probably the most memorable moment was as a freshman in high school being a starter. You know, my first game freshman year for Derby basketball on varsity. Uh, it is something. It was something that for eight years, as I was prepping for at the park or in my driveway. Uh, you know, it was the first goal I ever had in life was to be a starter as a freshman. Um, so, so that moment for me was probably the, the most memorable. Um, you know, I wish I could say. You know, my first game at the Boston Garden, first game as a Celtic. I don't remember putting on my Celtics uniform the first time. Like, I wasn't I wasn't present emotionally for that. Um, so, in hindsight, it was probably, you know, more of a high school uh, memory. Or, you know, playing against UMass at UMass the first time. All right, Terrell Brown from Facebook asks, like, do you think that the rap culture of um, taking pills is having a bad effect on the youth because the artist is kind of making, like, drug usage seem cool and acceptable? It doesn't help. It, does, it definitely doesn't help. I mean, you know, we've gone through phases, you know, with Percocets and, and Lean. Um, you know, it, it doesn't help. Uh, you know, I, I think... I think, I think there's certain people wired to seek relief. Um, and I was one of them. Um, I needed relief and I didn't know how to properly get it. And once I found drugs and alcohol, it temporarily uh, stunted, you know, that relief that I was seeking. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I don't think the culture helps, um, you know, but it's not, it's not just the rap culture. I think it's, I think it's all of the culture. Um, you know, my 30 for 30 on ESPN, the primary sponsor was, was whiskey, um, you know, that night, you know? Um, so, you know, I, I think, I think there's many people, um, that are responsible for what's going on. Um, but I, but I do, I do think that the rap culture and the, the glorifying, you know, popping pills and sandy bars and and lean drinking lean, 
like all that stuff has has influenced a lot of kids. Jose Cordoza from Twitter asks, like, if you if you can go back to any point of your life, like, what is something you would tell your younger self? It's probably the hardest exercise I ever did was write a note for myself. Um, you know, I did that on the CBS Morning Show um, five years ago, uh, and I would ask for help. I would see. I would. I wouldn't be afraid to let people uh, know. Uh, I. I wouldn't be so guarded. Uh, you know, I, w- I would. I would empower my younger self to to tell people, you know, where I was at emotionally and mentally. Do you mind sharing, like, what was in that letter to your younger self a little bit? Yeah, I mean, it was just moments in time, right? When my uh-huh. parents were going through a divorce, when I was under a lot of pressure playing high school basketball, how I couldn't voice that, how I believed that my parents, my father, and, and, our, and our household, the happiness was based off on performance. Uh, you know, and, and, and just some of the things I was shouldering in life. Uh, the burden that I was carrying that at times suffocated me, uh, you know, instead of talking openly and be, you know, take a step back from it. When my mom died from cancer uh, at a very young age, you know, we had conversations where she said to me, you know, I wish I protected you more. I wish I pulled back. I wish I pulled you back uh, instead of just letting you run like a wild horse, you know, really with no with no intent. Um, so, you know, it's, it's an amazing exercise to do. It's therapeutic. I do it at my wellness center. I have everybody here writing notes to themselves. Uh, you know, you can't change anything that's happened to you. You can just talk to the person, the boy that you once were, and how you wanted to be guided through it. So, it's a good question. All right, so, like, you've been, like, very fortunate to tell your story because the trials and tribulations that you went through um, can possibly save a life and save a family a lot of heartache. So I want to thank you for sh- for sharing your journey with us today. Oh, man, I appreciate it, brother. Thank you for having me on. Good talking to you again.